Hello, come on in, it's Cat. Meow. And you're in for a treat. Straight out of the oven, it's Cinema Buns. Back with another hot, fresh take on film. Time for Cinema Buns. Let's dig into the bun, hun. Hey bunnies, here's your spoiler alert. So today my friend Kelly and I are discussing Promising Young Woman. It has got five nominations so far at this upcoming Academy Awards in April. If you've not seen the movie, go ahead and only listen for the first few minutes because Kelly and I will be giving a brief uh, wreck of whether we think you should or should not see the movie and why. And then the rest of it is us going in depth about every detail. So come back after you've seen it if you want, which of course you will, because who would want to miss a cinema buns? Okay, uh, let's get into the bun, hun. Oh, also a great compliment to the movie. After you finish it, um, watch the SNL bachelor party sketch that just recently came out with uh, Nick Jonas. It is either twice as funny or twice as creepy and upsetting after you've seen this movie. So just wanted to recommend that as a nice compliment piece. I'll put the link to that in the description. Okay, to the bun. Okay, and hello, welcome back to another beautiful bun day. Today, as I said, we are talking about Promising Young Woman. I'm here today with my friend Kelly. Hi! Hello! Hey, buddy. (laughs) Um, So you are calling us from Colorado, right? I am, yes. (laughs) Cool. And Kelly and I have been buddies since college. And (laughs) (laughs) and, um, I'm going to go ahead and usually I do it at the end, but since I know some people are just going to listen for the first few minutes to hear what we think of the movie and then go decide if they want to watch it, why don't you go ahead and let us know where people can find more of you, if you have an Instagram or anything like that that you want to shout out? Uh, Perfect, yeah. So again, my name is Kelly. I have a photography page on, I believe it's on Facebook, called Double Take Photography and Cosplay. I do a lot of cosplay photos, and my Instagram is doubletake.cos, and I'm always currently posting uh, anime pictures and cosplay and, you know, some fun projects here and there. I'm hoping to start doing some Dungeons & Dragons photo shoots at some point soon. Yes, I just watched Dragula season three, and they do a Dungeons and Dragons like challenge where they all kind of dress oh. up, very cosplayy. And um, I always love Kelly's stuff. It's like very, very fun and inspirational, and it makes me wish that oh. I was artsier like that. Um, but your photography is awesome. So Kelly's links will all be in the uh, description for this podcast. So if you want to go find her check that out and we are going to go ahead and say real quick if we give a rec for the film or not and i will say spoiler free that i highly recommend this film to anyone i have rewatched the ending literally eight times and um i don't honestly want to say much more because i just want people to see it i would say go into it with as few preconceived notions as possible like just go watch it and then come back and let's talk Kelly, your thoughts? I would definitely recommend this because it it was it was so good, and it was just that yes, without spoiling anything, that subject matter is so oh, it's so good, and I, I'm gushing about it because I want to talk about it, but I know that there are people who's like spoilers. So, but I would recommend seeing it. It's definitely worth the watch. The slow burn is great. It is great. So, okay, shoo out of here if you haven't seen it. And now let's let Kelly gush. So, Kelly, unfiltered, thoughts on the movie, anywhere you want to start, go for it. Um, let's see. I absolutely loved 
all of it from the opening sequence to the end. I loved every minute of it. There were moments where I had my uh, gawking look as I watched some of these scenes going, I love that they brought this up. It's so good. Um, I was actually watching another video on YouTube, actually. I believe the uh, person is called Filmology, and they were talking about specifically like the color palette in the film and talking about uh, the use of pink and blue specifically between Carrie Mulligan and then Bo Burnham. Just that like destruction of gender, like the blue keeps circling in mm. to her life. If you check it on YouTube, it's Filmology, and it's called the, like, the color palette of Promising Young Woman, something like that, or the analysis of colors. I love that. It, it was so good, because it was talking about how each scene is broken down from when she when she stops trying to take revenge, how the mm-hmm. blue has kind of taken over everything, when she starts becoming more a part of his life, and then when uh, her the colleague brings her, or that ex-friend of hers brings her the phone with the information on it. Mm-hmm. It starts to the pink subtly comes all the way back in, and it's mm. just ooh, it's definitely worth the watch for that. And I love I, that. While you're talking about that, that makes me think of the production design, which was like I'm sad. So this was nominated for five Academy Awards, and I'm sad it wasn't nominated for production design because I, I thought honestly, to me, this was the perfect marriage of cinematography and production design, meaning that the elements in Cassie's life plays so well with the camera or should I reverse that the camera plays so well with those things like it frames her so well and I'll come back to that in a minute but um like we are talking about that scene where she gets the phone from her friend Madison McPhee played by um um Allison Brie that like room that she's in the parents house it has like pink carpeting like it's so reminiscent of rich people's homes I've been in before where I'm just like so much money and it couldn't buy you any taste like it's such a tacky tacky house but it exists as this almost like dollhouse that she's existing in it's really true to to your point on that especially the exorbitant birthday present that her parents get her Mm -hmm. like this is something like you'd give like a six-year-old yes (laughs) just to tell her to move out of the house and i'm I'm actually looking at that that cast list for the mom and dad who are played by clancy brown and jennifer coolidge their names are stanley and susan just the the alliteration on that is just ridiculous well I was looking at all of their names this morning and I think it's so intentional that everybody has the most basic obvious run-of-the-mill you know these people names like you just said the mom is Susan Thomas the uh the the uh ex guy that she goes and gets revenge on is Al Monroe her boyfriend is Ryan Cooper like these names are so you know these people. And uh, the Max Greenfield character, Joe, his name is Joe Macklemore the Third, which is very, like, rich boy, college, med student kind of name. So I think that the point of those names, the only name that's mildly interesting in any way is uh, the bride is Anastasia, because she's supposed to be, like, exotic. <laughs> and, and I think that's interesting, too, and it's especially because we have Cassandra and then everyone else has that very run-of-the-mill name. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I was thinking back a bit to, like, Greek mythology because Cassandra in Greek mythology was the person that always told the truth, like, always had visions of the future, but no one listened to her ever. 
I think the director was actually talking about how naming her for that alliter- um, allegory okay. a little bit. She's the person that has all these things that are coming. She knows everything's coming, and no one believes her. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly fitting. Yeah. yeah, well, I think the reason, uh, that's super interesting to hear. I think the reason that the cast has such a recognizable name of these characters is because the movie is not about unusual people. The point is, this is rape culture, and it's everywhere, and it's insidious. And I'm thinking of this scene, like, I'm thinking how important it is that they didn't just include, like, really extreme examples of bad guys. Like, the point is that women are involved in covering it up like everybody's involved it's so commonplace like her friend um allison brie comes over and says um you know it happens so often back then like i can't even remember like it's not some weird unusual bad guy who did one bad thing or a series of bad things it's like oh yeah that we were all at a party it was so normalized nobody even stopped what was happening yeah and it it's just so interesting also just coming from parts of a party school growing up you know hearing all of those stories hearing all that layers of rape culture outside of film and just being like they want to make it this extreme it's that one bad apple in a sea of good people and i kind of sit there and go no it's Mm -hmm. it's this this is commonplace Mm -hmm. and the movie did such a good job with that i think the best part of that was obviously the opening sequence with adam brody's character because if you knew nothing if you didn't see the trailer going into this movie Mm -hmm. you would have assumed with the way that the camera and everything set him up that adam brody was going to be the love interest or the hero to save the woman yeah and i love how they just turn that completely around for that absolutely and like I even thought and I saw the trailer and I even thought well I don't know maybe he is supposed to kind of be a lot like love interest like I was not convinced that he was going to be a predator because he was so like telling his friends like oh I hope she gets home but isn't it interesting that three men see a woman in a bar and they think something bad's gonna happen to her it, like, that shouldn't be a thought. Like, if you saw no. any person in the bar stumbling, like, if you saw a drunk guy, you're not thinking something bad's going to happen to him, even though something bad could happen to him. But rape culture is so prevalent that they think, oh, that's irresponsible at her age that she's drunk like that. Because you know, you know what could happen. And you're like, why? That, that shouldn't be a thing. Like, if that's such a commonplace thing... It should be something that men are holding each other accountable for. And they're like, whoa, we need to address this issue because that's, like, so scary. Oh, I hate it. Well, and especially the part, like you're just saying, men holding each other accountable for that. The part that got me is if you parallel that conversation with Adam Brody and the uh, other other two men in that scene then paralleling it with the start of the end scene because mm-hmm. it's men holding men covering up for each other always having each other's back to the point where max greenfield literally helps um al monroe burn the body and i'm like god the extreme part of that just if you don't hold each other accountable it's just covering that up and burying it 
deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was just that parallel is so interesting to me. Max Greenfield running away at the wedding. It, like <laughs> when Chris Lowell, Al Monroe, turns and looks at his buddy when the police are showing up. And then Joe, Max Greenfield, just takes off running. That is like my favorite part of the movie. Because I'm like, oh, you <laughs> stupid, stupid little worm. Like you running makes you look so much more suspicious. But he's just like, nope, I'm failing. <laughs> I think that's also just Max Greenfield as a person, especially just after the characters that he's played. I was really glad that they did not make him Al Monroe because I wouldn't have been able to take it. Like, it would have been more comical than horrifying if he had been Al Monroe in that casting. Chris Lowell as Al Monroe is the perfect casting. You're absolutely right because he is sympathetic and he's not only sympathetic, he's pathetic. Like, he's not some devious, smooth, slicked-backed, cool guy that we can be angry at. We kind of feel bad because you're like, oh, he's, like, crying. <laughs> like, dude can't even hold it together to, like, burn the body. Like, he's throwing up and he's so, you know, you almost feel for him. And that's what's so right about this movie is that's how it is. That's how... Yeah life actually is it's these guys who continue to you know convince themselves that no 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 I'm a good guy and that to me is the point of the entire movie is that she's not out here getting revenge she's not killing people she's not uh even hurting them physically the whole twist of the movie is that she's doing nothing to them except holding a mirror up and saying this is who you are right I love that because the trailer, I really thought she was killing these people. And even in the beginning with Adam Brody, right after she goes home with him, you're not sure what happens. And then the next scene, it looks like there's blood. Like she's eating a hot dog or something. And I think ketchup is going down her body, but it looks like blood. And you're like, oh yeah, she got her revenge. And then in the next moment, remember those construction workers holler at her and they're like, hey, what you doing? She just stops deadpan. She doesn't yell back at them. She just stands there and stares at them until they feel awkward and they're like, whatever, you're a bee. Like, that is stopping, calling it out, and going, really? You're catcalling me right now. That's what's happening. And then they feel bad, and then they lash back out at her by calling her bad names. And that's what happens at the end. Like, she's just saying, this is who you are, and... I don't think, we can get more into this later, but I don't think she ever intended to actually carve anything into Al Monroe. I think the point was showing him that he's capable of murder. Like, that's who he really is. Yeah, no, I I can definitely see where you're going with that. And especially just the fact that there is no violence in this movie outside of to, like, outside of the end. And probably, like, the violence towards the car. Like, mm-hmm. when she's breaking out his headlight, uh, his uh, taillights at the truck driver who's honking at her. Yeah. Besides that, there's not actually violence in this movie. It's just that uh, slow burn build to all of that. And that's... That's true. It, but holding that mirror up to them and holding them accountable, it's so accurate. Especially when she actually calls out Ryan near the end. Like, yes. being like, so you were about, you knew about this, and yet still you know I brought this up. You... You're aware of my revenge plot. You're aware of all of this, and you still were like this. You still followed, just followed the trail. And, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I think that's why, I think number five is Ryan, because number four appears right before she goes into the bachelor party, and that night he kills her. Like, I think she shows him who he is that night, 
And then I think number five appears on the screen at the wedding. And I think it's Bo Burnham because he had a chance to come clean. Like after she's murdered, he could have told the cop, oh my gosh, I know where she was. Like he could have done things all right at that point. And he doesn't. He's like, I don't know. Maybe she killed herself. Like, and then when she texts him at the wedding, she's like, yeah, <laughs> I bet you're at that oh, wedding right I, now. I've never been so satisfied with the movie ending. <gasps> it's so, so gosh darn got, satisfying. It so got me because, and again, we could definitely talk more about it, but just that I, the, the scene in the bedroom happened and I just sat there. Mm-hmm. I had to pause because I think I was, I had the movie on my phone because I was out and I, I had to sit down and put my phone down for like two minutes being like, what just happened? <laughs> what, what just even happened to, did you just Alfred Hitchcock me with mm-hmm. Psycho? Did you just do this to me? And, and then I was like, okay, turn it back on. You need to finish this. And then I was just like, I'm so glad I finished this. I'm so satisfied with this. Oh. <laughs> I frankly, to be honest, was a little bored with the film before that moment. And now going back, I'm like, no, it's a masterpiece. But the first time I was watching it, I was thinking, um, you know, okay, so it's a revenge fantasy. Hard Candy already did this so much better. You know what? Uh, girl gets, average girl kind of gets revenge. Um, girl with the Dragon Tattoo already does this better. Then when she dies... I realize, no, she's never intending violence to anybody. You're right. She's only, the the violence comes from the man at the end who kills her. She's just holding a mirror up to them and showing them who she is. This is not a revenge fantasy. The actual revenge that takes place is just, I see who you are. I want you to see who you are. And now you understand and have to live with that because, like, that's what actually changes hearts and minds as opposed to her just killing them or even her like roughing them up and scaring them and blackmailing them like she just says hey this is who you actually are and that's when I was like oh that's the point of this movie that's so much deeper than what it was advertised and I think it's advertised as a thriller if you're watching the trailer it looks like it's I don't know, maybe a dark comedy is the word they keep using. This to me was not dark comedy, and I love dark comedy. Like, the only moment where you can kind of say, I guess that was funny, was like when she gets the luggage for her birthday. It's ironic. <laughs> like, you know, for her birthday, they want her to move out, which is kind of funny, except the fact that she's forgotten her birthday because she's so trauma stricken. Like, that is depressing as heck. And the fact that her parents and nina's mom are all like can you move on like everyone has forgotten nina and just wants to let it go wants to move on even though with very little digging she was able to get a video of that night like that's how little work was required to get some proof of what happened to nina i think that cassie is built up the entire time for the martyr character like it should have been no surprise that she was murdered because um 
so many of the production design elements play into this that she is like almost a modern day saint in the cafe there's this blue thing on the wall behind her that makes like a halo image it very much evokes like sainthood and then when she's in her bedroom the like wings of the bed the headboard of the bed looks like white wings like she's an angel like the song at the end angel of the morning like so much of the imagery says this character is willing to die for this cause. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the like that goddess imagery in the coffee shop, especially because that's the most bizarre little coffee shop I've ever seen sometimes. <laughs> uh, I love it, and I want ten of them in my neighborhood. But that image, especially when you think about the women as the, uh, the mother and the goddess, there's always that sacrifice to move something forward. It's always like women have had to sacrifice a lot in movies and in stuff to move forward. I think of the movie... Like, when you think about revenge film thrillers, the only ones that pop out are like, I spit on your grave, vengeance against the men that did this to me, mm-hmm. versus, um, like, movies where women just have trauma that is unrelated to them at all, like, what's the movie, Itu Mama Tambien, where there's a woman having a good time and having fun and being in a, like, the throuple relationship with these other two boys, but the end of the movie kills all of that by saying, oh, she now has cancer. And I'm going, or she only did this because she has cancer. So the driving force for a feminist film movie is always having to be that that drive, that sacrifice. There must be something underneath. And just playing that up so well with the, uh, if I'm making any sense. Yes. If I'm making any, yeah, but the, in setting this into kind of that modern, realist, this is a real life setting. And then, no one taking the time to look at Cassie underneath to be like, no, this is a trauma, this is trouble, while they just move on to be like, here, just move out of the house, just move on with your adult life. Like, not even questioning or wondering what trauma came to her from that, just, oh, she's just going to move on, become a new doctor. No, it's it's so much more seated than that, and it's like, that's why she said to be that martyr that whole time, it's like, we will never actually pull out that rug from underneath that. Yes. Well, and your point made me think about how uh, the woman has to be punished at the end in so many movies. Like when you think about um, uh, Code of Ethics, kind of Catholic Legion of Decency, like a lot of this stuff that took place like in the 40s, 50s, like that kind of time period where if the woman was going to rise to the top of the company maybe she sleeps her way to the top she has to be killed especially if she's like any kind of a sex worker she has to be killed at the end like you can have a movie where the woman gets ahead but if she does it again through uh using her sexuality in any way the only way they were allowed to release the movie in that time period was if she died at the end and that makes me think of this where cassie's gonna die at the end but she chose it and she gets the last laugh. Like, that's why I think that ending is so satisfying. Because you're like, right before that, you really have, you said, the rug pulled out under your, you're like, wait, what, she just died? Like, oh my gosh, this is why people are so mad about the ending. And then you keep watching. And then as soon as that music starts playing and you hear the sirens and you see the five come on the screen, I was like, gosh, bless it. Like, I am so happy right now. Like, it's so, 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 because it's such a realistic ending. It never goes into superhero territory. It never goes supernatural or, like, super strength. Like, she just is such a normal person 
in an environment that we all can recognize. And I find that to be so satisfying, even though it is really frustrating that like, and I think the whole point of everything is she didn't trick him into killing her. But when Bo Burnham says, what are you going to do at that party? She says, it depends. Like she knew at that point that that was on the table. And I have a theory, which I don't know if everyone else believes this or not, but I think she purposely wanted and or made the handcuff break. Like, I think that was part of her intention was for the handcuff to break because I think she was ready to die because before she goes in, remember she takes the license plate off her car. Like she gets everything. There's no trace of her. So it's um, one where I think she wanted him to be pushed to the point where he really could kill to save himself because nobody cares until there's a body. Nobody cares about rape, sexual assault, all of this, these crimes against people where it's like, oh, well, yeah, but you had sex. So can you be that mad? Whereas if there's a body, okay, now the police can get involved and people care. Like that to me is what she was doing there is trying to say, until I die, no one is going to care about this issue. And, and, and honestly, that's just such a big women, um, a message amongst women and in film and in media at all. Like, I think about um, the show 13 Reasons Why. Again, mm-hmm. not getting on that topic of suicide. But no one, because of the show, everyone starts to you understand? About, do we know about suicide? Do we know that this is a problem? I'm going, but it's not until it's a problem. It's not until it hits that rock bottom element. That, mm-hmm. to your point where it's like until there's a body no one's going to care and can i just say that scene of her walking to the house over the gravel in Ooh. the white stockings with the toxic string quartet <laughs> playing is the most beautiful shot in cinema i've seen in a long time it's so good i want to be her for halloween like i want that right. wig so bad she is my hero and i only want to listen to the soundtrack which we'll get into but like i went to a drive and drag show this weekend and i was like can they please only do numbers from promising young woman um <laughs> like, it's also so interesting especially with these this other with the way the trailer plays cassie up it almost plays her up like harley quinn yeah especially since the the uh Birds of Prey came out this mm-hmm. past year, too. I enjoyed that movie for a lot of reasons, but it had one of the most unsatisfying endings I've seen in a while for that. But it plays Cassandra so much like Harley Quinn in those nurse scenes. I was like, wow, yeah, this is such an odd parallel for me. Well, I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because there's uh, kind of a controversy where uh, I think it was Variety. I don't want to like go too much into this but a film critic said that they wished instead of carrie mulligan it had been margot robbie playing the character of cassie and uh uh, carrie mulligan shot back because she said it sounds like you're saying i'm not hot enough to play this character and then there was like an apology issued so that's a whole thing you can look into but i personally and uh, margot robbie was involved on this film promising young woman like as a producer or something I think that the casting of Margot Robbie would have been totally wrong for this movie. It's totally right for a Harley Quinn kind of character, but it's wrong for this because when you see Margot Robbie, you think femme fatale, like she's Tanya Harding, she's B.A. And this character is not that. She's a normal person. She's not girl with the dragon tattoo. She's not going in and like 
cleverly exacting revenge in a aggressive way. She just is like a traumatized woman who doesn't even remember her birthday. Yeah, well, I think in also playing on, it's it's almost very nice to see a, what's the word I'm looking for? This, it's almost a feminist hero's journey, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I haven't, because it plays so much, like we talked about her having that sacrifice, her being that normal character, but that's just so nice because there's the savior for women has to be in at least the brain space themselves or yeah. the closest friend to them it's like yeah we talked about her and nina being this close friendship almost to being sisters almost to being this almost like a part of her is lost especially when they show the scenes of her holding the uh, heart necklace like the best friend necklace all of our women in our 30s i'm sure we can relate to that having a best friend necklace when we were like 12 or 13 years old uh yeah i still have one (laughs) yeah if you still have one that's perfectly great too (laughs) but just that build of the woman being able to speak out for themselves and save their friends and be held holding all those people accountable it just that's true if, if margot robbie like it'd be the femme fatale it would mm-hmm. be a comedy it would not be this dark tense thriller yeah i actually uh, think that the category this falls into is horror because yeah. just like get out and just like um i was gonna call it up us just like us the point is this is real like we are holding a black mirror up to you society and showing you and as a woman watching this movie i was not like lol like i was like this is my real life and this is a horror literally yesterday this sounds like an example that anyone would just write off but yesterday i went to go pick up some food and i'm standing there waiting and the guy who's working there like a woman is helping me and then she goes to get my food the guy who's working there comes over and goes oh hey how are you doing and he has a long line so i was like why is he talking to me and i was like oh fine thank you so much and he goes yeah i'm having a terrible day and I was like I'm sorry buddy what's going on and he was like well I haven't seen your beautiful eyes until now and I'm standing there with my wife right next to me which I'm sure he has no idea but he just continuously and like I personally love a compliment like I'm Tinkerbell if I don't get applause I will die but I want you to compliment (laughs) my dress I want you to compliment my bow something about the way I styled my outfit if you just stand there saying like you know, uh, great eyes. Okay, well, that's nice, but I have a mask on. That's literally all you can see of me. So, like, you're just trying to pick me up. And again, that's super nice. Thank you so much. I'm flattered. There's nothing wrong with that. But then he stood there and waited. Like, now I owed him a date. And I'm like, dude, you have a line of people. And the point is, people would hear that story and they'd go, how flattering, how nice. But the fact that I didn't reciprocate. He took the time, he took the time, he took his time of day to talk to you. Yeah, I should be flattered. No, no. But like, that's fine. You can compliment my eyes. I'm okay with that. I've got beautiful eyes. But if I don't reciprocate, I just said, thank you so much. And then I stand there. Like, I'm not looking for more. And then, you know, and but the point is, it made me very uncomfortable. And like, yeah. that happens so often where like, oh, well, okay. So that's, that's a pretty nice compliment. I have nice eyes. But when I waitress, I've had people before, this man, I'll never forget it. He told me, I asked him if he wanted a sweetener with his tea, his iced tea. And he said, why don't you just stick your finger in there and twirl it around and sweeten it up? And I was like, like, it was so disgusting to me. Like I just said, um, oh, that would be a health code violation and like walked away. But it made me feel unsafe 
because the idea is, oh my gosh, everywhere men are lusting after me. If I walk home after this, is someone going to jump me? Like it creates such an unsafe environment. And yet from the outside, you're just going, what a nice compliment. She must feel so great today. I feel great because I'm a lovely person and I have self-worth outside of my looks. But the fact is that all I ever get told is like, you know, great butt. I had a guy one time who just was roller skating by and he was like, great rack. And I was like, okay, I did nothing. I did nothing for this, but thank you. But like, it just creates an environment where you feel unsafe and it's not even the guys who like, you know, it's one off, one bad apple, like you were saying. It's yeah. so often. It's it, so it constantly often. reminds me of. It was mostly back to a, a film class I took at, at uh, when we went to college together. There was a film class I had. It was actually called Film and the Quest for Truth, mm. and we were talking about um, it was film with postmodernism and a couple of things. But the thing that always stuck out to me was the theory regarding the Panopticon. The, the the prison that was built where they had the guards in the tower and they it didn't have any doors or walls or inner doors and walls where the guards would uh, say they were at the top of the tower and the prisoners just had to systematically behave themselves. Hmm. You know, but they, were, they weren't sure if they were being watched or not. There's always sometimes in day-to-day life when I'm interacting like at a club or a party that there's this big omnipotent force like has told all the men in the world like we're watching you, you better be you better hit on someone today. We, we have to adhere to that every time, like whether it's through catcalling or talking to someone about their dress or their skirt. But I just think there's this big figure sitting up there who's like, yes, please give me the quote of who you flirted with and made uncomfortable today. Just this magical panopticon that exists outside in the world. But Yeah, well, it goes into like the fact that if, uh, say, a teacher were to sleep with a high school student, that's obviously bad, right? When I just said that, probably most people are thinking I'm talking about about a male teacher sleeping with a high school girl but sometimes a female teacher sleeps with a high school boy when that happens a lot of times not all the time but a lot of times it's like wow cool man high five and they they have a storyline like this on transparent where a male character in his teen years uh was having sex with the nanny and I'm trying to say it as if like the nanny had sex with him but I'm like having sexed by the nanny is having sex with him and um or maybe she's a tutor I can't remember but the point is he thinks like wow that's really cool like oh my gosh like I'm getting some but everything about male I have to get back to the film because I'm gonna like lose it if I start talking about this but like literally (laughs) babies when babies wink at you a mom will say oh he's flirting with you like a baby that's how much agency male sexuality has like babies wear those little onesies that's like mom's little heartbreaker but girls are supposed to be like totally docile like dad on the porch with the shotgun like no one's coming for my daughter like they don't say oh she's flirting with you like they because you don't want women to have any like agency they're to be flirted with like oh oh uh, to that to that point exactly I think it's the dinner between Ryan and her parents and Cassie's parents mm-hmm. actually that stimulates that completely when they're finished with dinner and uh, I think is it Ryan who or Cassie who instigated the the, the it's like flirting with Cassie's mom oh yeah uh, yeah he's like so your mom that. was pretty hot yeah and I'm just going why is this the norm <laughs> why 
and Cassie just being like, well, I better play along with this because he's my boyfriend now. Yeah, well, because every woman is a chance for a, like, I mean, even, like, never mind. I'm going to stop on that point, and I want to get back to, I have, so I have yes, please. parallel on that point hilariously, because the actress uh, who plays uh, Susan. Jennifer Coolidge. Is also Stifler's mom in American Pie, so that adds a whole other layer to that that I hadn't thought about till just now. Yeah, Jennifer Coolidge is iconic. She's also um, in Legally Blonde. She's like the bended snap her. woman. <laughs> love her um i was thinking of the book that cassie's reading that says careful how you go and i know that's supposed to be a reference to i think it was emerald fennel's i don't know like a short movie she had made uh, my wife pointed out when we were watching it she was like oh that's something emerald fennel work on before this but it also makes me think of that being a foreshadowing that cassie is very careful how she goes like her ending is so intentional of letting herself be murdered basically want to go into some quotes I'm going to read real quick. So this is an interview with the director writer Emerald Fennel who's up for best director. It's also up for best original screenplay. Woohoo. So this is an interview I read with Emerald Fennel from something called Gold Derby and I highlighted a few points that I wanted to say. She says they're talking about like why the tone of the movie and why the trailer made it seem like it was what it was. So she says, what I wanted to do was lead people in. I never wanted to make a film that was overly didactic or that felt like medicine or that was a film that you knew you should watch. There are a lot of films I think and I'm like, I should watch this, but there's also Clueless. So it needed to be a movie that everyone would want to watch that you'd get quite far in before you realize the kind of movie it is. And that felt to me so true about this stuff in general, all of it. Often you don't know the kind of guy you're with. Often you don't know your friends, what your friends are like until they're in the spotlight and they have to choose sides. End quote. Um, Yeah, I think that that explains so well why the movie was advertised the way it is and why it uh, does, it never does like a switch. Like it never is like she's... Uh, one kind of person and then you realize she's something else like she's always being consistent it's just us realizing um that we're not watching the movie we thought we were and that is how a lot of these encounters go if you remember that story that came out about like uh, remember there were so many stories about like Aziz Ansari or there was that essay that was like the cat woman or cat people or something where you think yeah. you're having one kind of a date and then the man continues to and again uh, throughout this I'm saying man uh, women are capable of this too but in general in my experience as a woman having dated women um, this is what I get from men and the point is that like the man will say oh you know you're safe with me it's okay like I'm not like other guys like that whole thing and then even this when Adam Brody like takes her home and then he slowly slowly pushes you are being chipped away at over and over and over again and so I love that this movie does that same kind of thing where it pulls you in and you're like, I'm watching something flashy. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm watching something tragic. And I think it also it plays just on our expectations of gender as people anyway. The assumption that, like I, I think I said earlier, that when the assumption that the way Adam Brody is portrayed in the trailer, mm-hmm. it appears that he's going to be in the film a lot more than he is. And it's well marketed for that, thinking this is the boy I have to focus on. This is the main, yeah. like... She's obviously, at first I was like, oh, she obviously must be crazy or something. But it's like, no, she's just experienced trauma. 
and well, it you, just plays that so well being like you never know what's underneath and you mentioned think, psycho yeah. before and i think that that it, this kind of does pull a psycho where you think it's about one person and it's about someone else like right. they intro a character who kind of uh, goes away pretty quickly she says further in here about casting adam brody for that character um it gives you an opportunity to communicate something to the audience with your casting the thing is with adam brody chris mintz Place, or sam richardson he's like the third guy that she's going home with when she accidentally <laughs> runs into bo burnham these are all male actors who we love we would be delighted to go home with who we all would think was excellent boyfriend material son-in-law material best friend material whatever it is because the thing about this stuff is it's problematic because it's so endemic and that means that it involves lots of people who think they're nice so that was really important to me from the get-go to put the audience in a position where their allegiances are stretched because cassie i love her and lots of people love her but she does things that are cruel she does things that are certainly strange and often malevolent because that's how she manifests her rage and grief end quote and i'm going to read one more it's important to not make any obvious choices about good and bad people it's the same when it comes to the women in this movie this is not just a gender problem it's a societal problem we're seeing at this moment again in the news it's the same conversation again and again i'm very keen to say and it is important to differentiate between the women and the men in this movie because both of the women in this movie their reasons for their complicity are very different she's talking about um uh, end quote she's talking about Madison and the Connie Britton character, both who Cassie has a bone to pick with. Okay, back to the quote. I would say Madison, who's played by Alison Bree, she obviously has had things happen to her. In fact, she kind of implies as much in the movie. So she's dealt with it in a way which is protecting it, her own trauma. The dean of the university, Connie Britton, it was really important the room couldn't have been more American looking. Um, it has mahogany walls and flags as portraits of men. Again, because when you're living in such a patriarchal environment, what do you have to do in order to get to that position? The end quote. So I loved that because it's not just her going after guys the whole time. The point no. is the women help cover this up. Okay, well, why do, why do we do this? It, it, again, are people good or bad? No, but if you want to be the dean of a school... It's usually not women. So your office can't be pink. Your office has to be like, I am professional. You have to be above and beyond. And having been a woman on a film set, I can say as a minority, you have to be not just a little good. You have to be the first person on set. You have to be the last person to leave. You have to be so out of this world good that nobody can say that you were only okay or that you were just there as a token minority. And as, as, as someone who's also had that, mostly in not outside of school mm -hmm. but having that being the one of the few women in our bfa program actually being like oh you you obviously are here for a reason but we're going to keep reminding you that you're the woman here constantly we're going to keep reminding that of you unless you prove that you can follow along on that like male-dominated train of film that it's it was one of those being trying to not be the token but also wanting to fit in it, it fits mm -hmm. so much of that yeah I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of the title of the movie, which uh, is funny because I was thinking nobody ever says that. No one's ever like, she was such a promising young woman. They always say that about men. And I, I read somewhere again, I don't know where to cite this. You can find it pretty quickly by Googling. But she says, um, Emerald Fennell talks about how the title came from the Brock Turner case. Brock Turner famously, uh, infamously oh. raped yeah. a woman. And they said in the court that... It wasn't fair that such a promising young man was now going to have to pay repercussions for just 20 minutes of action. I remember that yeah. case so well 
because it is one of those cases that I, I, I think I was glued to the television when it actually happened. And they said that quote on the television, and I just remember being the most angry woman, yeah. the most promising angry woman of the time. And I, I could see how that would pull such good allegory to that with this film. We should all promise to be angry women. <laughs> like, we should get angry and we should turn it into something productive like I agree I think that when we just say oh well oh he's literally I wish I were making this up they said that Brock Turner should not be in prison anymore because he was so sad he couldn't even eat his steak his dad said that that was a sign of how depressed Brock was that he wasn't enjoying his steak anymore and I think of the line in this movie when uh Chris Lowell's on the bed tied up and he's like it ruined my life okay like no guy that's every guy's worst nightmare to have an allegation like this against them and then Carrie Mulligan just deadpans what do you think every woman's worst nightmare is right (sighs) I had to laugh at any scene yeah moment in any scene it's i think i like slam my fist on the table watching that when she's like how do you think we feel like fuck yes yeah. say it loud say it louder for the people in the back every time somebody tells me that me too has gone too far i say it hasn't gone far enough <laughs> the fact that we are still having this conversation it has not gone far enough like one character that uh i wanted an uh, interesting pinpoint because then we're talking about connie brighton's character being that like having to follow that strict line of being the dean. Yeah. There was that I was so proud of what they did with this character. I think it's uh, Alfred Molina's lawyer. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the character, but I remember Alfred Molina because yeah. I love him and everything I've seen him in. But having that lawyer character that is actually a sympathetic character who feels mm-hmm. terrible for what happened, not just being the lawyer who's like, well, I've just done this for my client and it's just business. The fact that he feels that it's where it's like i'm going to go get my vengeance on this guy and she just ends up crossing him out being like nope it's he, don't don't even worry about it. talking to the uh, the guy who's probably going to go in and threaten him or beat him up or whatever yes it's just you know i was like this is so nice to see yeah i actually want to talk about that scene i'm glad you brought it up i actually have a lot of thoughts on this scene where i'm not sure how i feel I was yeah. scared the first time I was watching it because he's scaring her. Like, he is so lunging towards her, and it's kind of scary. But then I wondered, like, why she let him off the hook. And I'm like, she must have sensed he genuinely felt bad. And I think at the end, because she could have sent that camera, the camera phone to the police, but she sends it to him. I think she wants to give him a chance. Like, to prove it. And she's letting him prove who he actually is now by turning that in. And one thing that I think is so brilliant in that scene with the production design is every one of his plants is dead. Like, throughout his whole house. And even at the end when he gets her letter in the mail, he's standing next to a dead plant. Like, that is showing that he really has given up and is depressed and has had a psychotic break. Because if he were just wealthy and living wonderfully and was, like, still a lawyer, we'd be like, yeah, I don't think you're apologetic. But the fact that you can see his environment around him is wilting and dying, like, he's truly ridden with guilt, and he gets to prove it at the end, and he does. But I want to ask you, what do you think that guy was that she hired because everyone's referring to him as like the hitman and i'm like i don't think she was gonna have that guy killed especially not if she's meeting with the hitman in the middle of the day right in front of his house like i don't do you think he was just gonna go in and beat him up 
I don't even know what it could have been, honestly, because I, I, I was thinking about how Cassie had pinpointed her ven- her revenge and uh, points against everyone in particular, mm-hmm. like the bit with Madison and getting her drunk and making her exactly afraid like Nina was, mm-hmm. or taking the dean's daughter, basically saying, oh, I, I sent her to the hotel, I sent her to the boys' dormitory, but I didn't really do it. The only thing I could think of would be... <sighs> If it wasn't a hitman, yeah. Again, with it, because that's that's pretty much how you can go. That's assuming he just looks like a hitman, being like, well, "So I'm not gonna go in or what?" It was like, "What are you?" I, I had to. You got my brain to think, and I love that. I think <laughs> the way they describe everything that happened to Nina with the lawyers, in particular, like Al Monroe's lawyers. Yeah, they think that they were so brutal to Nina. It would, have, it would have had to have been something that would have made him feel yes like what nina felt and the only way i could think the way that nina felt in that way is someone i honestly don't know i i wish i did but yeah well someone humiliating yeah. her so i don't know if this guy was gonna go like maybe she had dirt dug up on him that that guy was gonna go intimidate him with because it it wasn't her style to like actually beat people up so I was curious about what that guy was. I want to talk about a few things, to be fair, a few things that I disagreed with for the film or that I wasn't crazy about or I just want to point out. Yeah. So I actually am not crazy about the Connie Britton meeting with the Dean scene. And I think what bothers me about it is like, I don't think that the Dean actually is like, oh my gosh, my daughter's going to be raped because it's the middle of the day which again it can happen anytime but like i think she's actually scared that this woman has kidnapped her daughter and and is um unhinged and so i'm not sure that it's an effective way to show the dean who she really is i i could agree with that actually like similarly with madison like before we learned that nothing happened mm-hmm. i was horrified for a good 15 seconds sure yeah Oh, thank God. But, you know, that's the natural progression of this film. Mm-hmm. But it didn't It didn't really, yeah, you're, you're pretty right. It makes a lot of, yeah. Well, as Emerald Fennell says, like, this character is not perfect. She's not kind. She's scary and does bad things, meaning uh, Cassie. Like, Cassie's not sugarcoating anything. She's not like, let's sit down and talk about rape culture. But I think the point was, and my wife said this when I brought the point up, which was if the dean really is getting two to three complaints a week about sexual assault on campus, she's probably just scared that her daughter might be somewhere on campus if she doesn't view campus as a safe place, which points out maybe she thinks twice about, is campus not a place where I would want my daughter? Maybe I should listen to these women in the future. I just don't think it's the strongest way to have done that. The other thing that kind of bothered me about the film was the Laverne Cox character, which Laverne Cox is terrific. So no complaints about that. I just, it's kind of frustrating when you see just like one or two black people in the film and they have no real personality and they're kind of just characters to ask the main character how their days are going. We don't have time to develop the character of the boss, so I don't know how much more they can do. But it just is a shame to have a powerhouse like Laverne Cox in there and give her a few lines, which is mostly like, how you doing, Cassie? Yeah, to your point, I I agree with you on that. Because Laverne Cox, first off, she's amazing. 
I didn't feel they didn't develop her enough to make me care about her. Yeah. I think yeah. what the Laverne Cox character did for me, and I mean, I'm glad they cast her. So that's, I'm just criticizing yeah. the fact that that character tends to not have any lines other than progressing the, like, there are no black people in the film other than right. that the third guy that she goes home with. But also, okay, so if you did have, like, if Al Monroe was a black guy, I think there would be the danger of saying, they're making it seem like black people are rapists, and that's not right. what the movie is. So I understand why it was. I just wanted to point that out. The other thing that I want to point out is even in, yes, Cassie is entitled to as well as understandably has trauma. She has gone through something horrible. So many of us have gone through this. It is exhausting. But I want to point out that she still has privilege as a cisgender person because she had not been cisgender uh-huh. and she had been a person of color or both a trans woman of color she would not have taken until the end of the movie to be killed like the fact that she can go into these guys homes and that christopher mintz plass is just like scared of her and then she leaves i do see as a privilege because i think of how many black trans women are murdered every year just for being who they are and then um the fact that like as a white woman it's pretty safe i'm surprised that no one has roughed her up before yeah and it makes me now picture like if laverne cox had been the main if laverne cox had been cast yeah she wouldn't have made it to the end of the film because people would have been so mad before and there's such violence to trans people especially trans women especially trans women of color so i was just reflecting on that um as i watched the movie and the point is that like even in that she still has privilege and i think that's part of addressing privilege is not to say she's a white woman nothing bad has ever happened to her because she's white it's saying that yes oppression has happened to you as a woman but acknowledge that there's privilege even in that so that's just something i think about especially in this time period just watching through this going yep i can relate to a lot of that however there are a lot of ways where i feel safe that other uh people would not if they were not cis and white like me oh definitely i can definitely relate to that yeah on my last note of like things i kind of disagreed with was the third guy that she's going home with when Bo Burnham interrupts her and she's like, oh, never mind. He says to her when he realizes that she's not actually drunk, he's like, you're that girl that Jerry took home, right? I don't think Jerry would have told his bros. Like Jerry would have been too embarrassed yes. to tell his bros. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like when you unveil something about someone or reveal like this is who you are because what well how would that go jerry would be like wow can you believe i took this woman home and she wasn't actually drunk like that's not how it would go down i think even if jerry's friends had seen him take this hot woman home from the bar and then she you know wasn't drunk and left i think the next day he'd be like yeah dudes i totally scored i don't think he'd be like she tricked me (laughs) so i do disagree with that point because i think it takes away from the message which is these guys are not talking about this they're not like uh, like when uh max greenfield cradles uh chris lowell in the bed at after the murder and he's like it's okay buddy it's not your fault and he's saying all the things to his friend that you would tell someone after they were raped it's not your fault it's okay and he's telling it to his friend after he murdered someone um 
that kind of conversation where like, hey, we went and buried a body together, you don't then talk about it later. <laughs> so I think the idea that Jerry would be like, it was so embarrassing. She wasn't actually drunk. I don't think that would have taken place. So yeah, and I, I can see that in that way, because again, Jerry would also be, be too embarrassed to tell his bros, be like, no, I totally scored with her. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good, it kind of twisted that for the men, like having Max Greenfield's character be so like, until the problem explodes, I'm by your side through a whole murder until we're gonna get caught yeah he'll uh, he'll commit murder with you but he's not going to jail with you he's gonna book it out of there (laughs) versus cassie is willing to die for her friend yeah and it it just plays on that level of like what is uh what is female and what is male friendship on top of everything else Speaking of women friendships, this doesn't add or detract from the film. I'm just curious. Do you think that Cassie was in love with Nina? Hmm. It's definitely a possibility. And I'm, it's, I think it's definitely a possibility. But also, it's also just be nice to have just a movie about female friendship. Yeah. Like, if, if you actually want to um, plug in another recommended movie, if you want a good movie about female childhood friendships wolf walkers is so oh yeah good. we just watched it it was really that was cute. so good i haven't seen a movie like that done about female friendships that's not i'm going to be better than you as a character and yeah but that's uh, that's a whole other point i don't need them to be in love and i don't i'm not like reading into it i'm just curious because the way she's describing nina so many times where she's like nina was beautiful and she was everything and she wanted to be my friend I couldn't believe it and like it just seemed like she's so infatuated with her and the fact that she's talking about like even as a kid Nina was always herself like she's just she's really really into her and I get it that's kind of how I am with my friendships but I also wouldn't have dropped out of college because of something that happened to a friend and I definitely would be concerned I would be there for my friend I would be like a hundred percent on her team but I do think it's really weird that like I kept waiting for them to say what Cassie's trauma had been and then I was like oh you're kind of piggybacking on your friend's trauma it made me kind of curious as to whether Cassie had been kind of a little in love with Nina which again even if she was just totally 100% platonic friends or if she was in love with her it doesn't make a difference her cause still matters it still stands up she doesn't have to be uh romantic with her in order to be in love uh, to love her as a friend but I just am curious like it just seemed a little overboard to be so dive bombing of everything in your life for a friend unless it really revealed to her holy cow rape culture is totally prevalent everywhere but dropping out of college is not or uh, med school is not going to stop that so i just think maybe there was a uh a love Um, there i could honestly see that there was definitely a love element in there because like you said you don't when you talk about friendships and what you mean to care about another person how do you destroy your entire life for another person if there isn't that some sliver of love whether it's platonic or romantic but there i'm sure there was definitely some of it with, especially when she was talking about nina to al monroe basically like there was no one else mm-hmm. but me and nina mm-hmm. like and it's, it, it wasn't but it was nice that it wasn't like an obsessive layer yeah. after it was that i genuinely did love this person and they're gone from my life and it's your fault that they're gone look at yourself and tell me what you see 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I again, it, I, I, I'm hesitant to even bring it up because I, as a lesbian, don't want to be like, lesbians are everywhere. Like, I, I want to just <laughs> legitimize female friendships and she doesn't have yeah. to have been in love with her. But it really struck me as very romantic language. And it really struck me as like, um, yeah, that's that's a lot for a friend. And I did wonder, maybe they had been girlfriends in med school and they'd been in love and they couldn't be open about it because uh, clearly Cassie's family is like rich, old money, probably conservative. And so maybe then Cass, uh, Nina goes to the party and gets raped and Cassie like snaps. I don't know. But it's worth noting when a character is kind of being coded as possibly bisexual because she is also with Ryan. So... So there's something that we talk about in film, which is the male gaze, G-A-Z-E. It means when you film something and you start with a woman's high heel and then you pan up her body to show her face, you don't film men that way. There's a clip going around. I've seen it years and years before, but it's like Hollywood interviewing women and then... um, women saying uh would you ask a man that question you know it has the clip of like uh they're interviewing scarlett johansson and robert downey jr about avengers and they ask her how did you get in shape for the movie and then robert downey jr goes i'm sorry you just asked me existential questions about like the meaning of the movie and you ask her like her body how she got in shape but even when you have a movie like okay so um Oh, shoot. What's that movie where... Oh, Miss Congeniality. It's a movie of generally for women. It's kind of a rom-com. But you still yeah. show her transformation where she's no longer a cop. She's now undercover as a cop. And she's, like, got her makeover. You start with her heels and you film up. So the point is the movies are filmed for the gaze of the way that men objectify women. This movie, in the best way possible from the very first scene, is like, this is not a movie filmed by, made by men. Like, the the, the crotch <laughs> shot is so aggressive. And when it started in the movie and those guys are dancing in the clubs with their khakis and they're, like, thrusting, my wife and I were like, <gasps> like, clutching our pearls. Like, ew! <laughs> it, it just makes you think how that has been sexualized for women. Even, like, Pretty Woman, like... Like, we see Richard Gere in his full-bodied, like, you know, he's in his suit, he's in his business side. The first shot we get of Julia Roberts is of her crotch. <laughs> that opening scene of Promising Young Woman with that music and just, wow, this is the best reversal of this I've ever seen. <laughs> it, I loved when I first moved out to L.A. like seven years ago and I went to West Hollywood, which is uh, known for being a gay area. It showed me so well what it would look like if men sexualized other men the way they sexualize women when you walk around and the like the advertisements are like men in like just speedos and they're advertising like protein drinks or frozen yogurt and you're like why are men in speedos advertising frozen yogurt oh because sex sells and you don't even notice it when it's on a woman when i put the status on facebook yeah. which is why you asked me to come along to talk on this. And I was like, I'd love to come back and talk movies with you all the time. Yay. But it very, it's very interesting because I think the status I put for this was like, promising young, wo- young woman is a one slow burn of a beautiful roller coaster ride or something mm-hmm. like that. And the first comment on there is from a dude yep. who I'm not even friends with. Is It's like, oh yeah, it wasn't that good at all. I was like, no, you misinterpret everything I just said. Yep. You just... <laughs> no, it's amazing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like when a, it reminds me of when a guy hits on you, cat calls on you, and you reject him, and he goes, oh, you weren't even that hot. <laughs> You're like, yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's how the comment felt. Yeah, I felt like the, the, the response was like, not enough boobs. <laughs> like, it just, uh, last thing I wanted to talk about is mm, the soundtrack. Oh my god, yes. the soundtrack was on point. So, um, did I ask for the record on vinyl for my birthday this year? Yes, of course. It's that good. <laughs> I love it. And the soundtrack to me is so intentionally clever where it's only women, but it's not like No Doubts, I'm just a girl. Like, it's not like ballads. It's like underestimate me because I'm a stupid woman that is every song so I want to read a few lyrics here that just like enforce that point which was the opening song is boys the drollo remix and <clears throat> with the men's crotches going which is like unappetizing and I don't know again I'm into women so maybe women who are into men or men who are into men are more into that opening shot but I was not even as someone who's like uh as, as uh, i identify myself as pan mm-hmm. but even me being like nope this is uncomfortable regardless <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my understanding like i think probably most people find that to be like not appetizing um no. but the song that's playing is i was busy thinking about boys boys uh, boys, boys. Yeah. busy dreaming about boys head is spinning thinking about boys i need that bad boy to do me right on a friday those are the uh, lyrics of that song the next song that plays, um, it's Rain and Men, Hallelujah. And then the, uh, another one that plays is He Hit Me and It Felt Like a Kiss. <gasps> like, was, what? Oof. He hit me and it felt like a kiss. Like, especially going back to, like, It's Rain and Men, what I, I love that version of It's Rain mm-hmm. and Men because it adds that layer of, like, almost foreboding because it's right when she's, like, wiping the ketchup off yeah. her face from the hot dog. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just going, is this thing is raining men? It is. Oh, this cover's amazing. But- the versions they chose of everything are really good. I want to read some of the lyrics from Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton, which is the one that Bo Burnham and Cassie, uh, his name's Ryan in the movie, um, that they sing. By the way, uh, tangent, but the casting is perfect because Bo Burnham is charming. Like, he, that character has to be likable. He has to be charming. If he's, like, smarmy or douchey or you're just, like, turned off by him, the film doesn't work. And the fact that well, you... it's almost... Yeah. Uh, to your point, it's almost like you said earlier, when it has that casting of those men that, like, you know... Um, they are likable. Adam Brody and McLovin. I'm just going to call him McLovin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but those characters that are so funny and so comical in the day-to-day life like you think about Bo Burnham and his parody music when you see Bo Burnham's in the film it's like oh what comedy it's like oh no mm-hmm. it's not a comedy it's a it's a it's a horror film <laughs> I have loved Bo Burnham it's since so I was cool. like 15 years old like I was watching him on MySpace and YouTube and uh, his comedy albums were like on repeat over and over again throughout my high school I adore him and I thought this was a perfect casting perfect casting because they didn't choose anybody who's like a list famous 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 like the people they chose were all like uh the guy who's the detective is the husband uh is a husband on crazy ex-girlfriend 
Um, oh, he is. You're right. Yeah. I didn't catch that. And then, oh, Chris Lowell's from Glow. So is Allison Brie. Um, like, they chose people who were like, kind. you kind of know who they are. They're on TV shows. But even Carrie Mulligan, I'm like, I know she's been in stuff, but I can't remember. I think she was Daisy in Gatsby, but she's not, like, obviously tied to one role. So you're, you're yeah, able to let these actors live in the character. Joe as, like, yes. as, like, Cassie yeah. or something. Um, okay, so Stars Are Blind is the one that... Uh, Ryan starts singing to Cassie in the pharmacy. The lyrics are, I don't mind spending some time just hanging here with you because I don't find too many guys that treat me like you do. So again, this is kind of the relationship of Cassie and Ryan. These other guys, they want to take me for a ride, but when I walk, they talk is suicide. Some people never get beyond their stupid pride, but you see the real me inside and I'm satisfied. I can make it nice or naughty, be the devil and angel too. So they use angel a lot throughout this movie. I've got a heart and a soul and body. Let's see what this love can do. I could be your confidant, just one of your girlfriends but I know that's not what you want. If tomorrow the world ends, why shouldn't we be with the one we love? So he's saying like, I love you. I'll be your girlfriend. I'll chat with you. I'll take it slow. But uh, the world could end tomorrow. So like, let's screw now. And that keeps happening in the movie. When we got to the end, my wife says, oh, it's always the nice ones. And I was like, that character, Ryan, was not a nice one from the beginning. He comes into the coffee shop and he says, whoa, what are you doing here? You used to be somebody. You had promise, and now you're working in a coffee shop? Like, he downgrades her from the beginning. And then he asks her out, and she gives him a fake number. That's a no thank you. Then he comes back and is like, hey, you gave me a fake number. I'd like to take you out. Like, he pushes and pushes and wears her down. But he is really charming. Yeah, everything he says is, like, it's pinpointed to just be that thing of, there's something very off about this from the beginning. As much as you want this to be this this must be the boy that she's interested in. And I, yeah, I watched the movie because Bo Burnham was in it. That was my biggest draw. I love him so much. And the fact that they made me dislike him was so good because I'm always going to be on his side. But then I was like, wow, you tool. (laughs) Like his face when he's panicking and he's in that great suit at the wedding. And he's just like, but as soon as she comes to him and she says, hey, I have this footage. And he's like, what? And he starts panicking. And then she's like, I don't know. I may release it anyways. And then he says, then neither of us will be a doctor, you loser. Like, he shows who he really is and what he really thinks of her. Well, the thing I was so afraid of, honestly, is that, like, when they had his character and when they had this all this... I'm I'm glad he was just a bystander Mm -hmm. in that scene. And I'm glad it it wasn't like, oh, he was actually the one who did it. And I was waiting for that. That scared me a little bit. Well, we're all bystanders. That's the problem. That's the reason that rape culture is not just, like, a crime. It's it's prevalent everywhere. So it's not just rape. It's rape culture because we're right. all complicit and we all are bystanders. We all turn the cheek. Everybody looking the other way or looking and laughing and downplaying it. Um, it's very much like it's that complicit or I think about rape jokes all the time. Yes. Uh, even something as casual as, like, when people used to say, like, oh, this test is going to rape me. Like, it's so casual, and it creates a culture where, like, it's not that bad. I mean, I think, and again, they never say it, but I'm pretty sure Nina killed herself over this. Yeah, and it's just that whole, like, as someone with with a degree in gender, and Mm -hmm. the whole bit about rape culture, it's 
the how it's just become so commonplace to just joke of, of is like, oh, you lost a shoe, ha ha. Oh, oh, we make a rape joke. Please yeah. don't. Please don't. And like you said, it's not important until there's a body. Yep. It's, it's insane. Well, I'm looking at the lyrics for the song that they play while um, they're burning her body. And it's called Something Wonderful, and it's from The King and I. So the, 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 it's a, this tracking shot up over the mountains, and then they're showing the smoke, and then they go down and they show her body burning. The song that's playing is, This is a man who thinks with his heart. His heart is not always wise. This is a man who stumbles and falls, but this is a man who tries. This is a man you'll forgive and forgive and help and protect as long as you live. He will not always say what you would have him say, but now and then... He'll say something wonderful. The thoughtless things he'll do will hurt and worry you. Then all at once, he'll do something wonderful. And that is like, <laughs> yes, these people we expect so little from. And, and, and I think along that line, it's always that idea it plays so much on domestic violence, actually, too. Because yeah. the, what people are willing to put up with in the sense of love. Uh, this person is horrible to me. Mm-hmm. But they did this one nice thing, and I forgive them, Yeah, honestly. And I think I also... I this movie on DVD today. I might have to go do that again. Oh, so good. And I, I also think that that song is a little bit about the uh, um, Joe and Al friendship. Like, this is a man you help and protect as long as you lit. Like, that idea of, like, brotherhood. Like, he's burning the body with him. And then he bails on him at the funeral. Or I'm sorry, at the <laughs> wedding. Versus Cassie, who is dedicated everything to the, the friendship with Nina. Like, she's not going to stop. And the last song that I wanted to throw out, oh, Angel of the Morning. They do the version by Juice Newton. And uh, here are some of the lyrics that play as the cops are showing up at the end. There'll be no strings to bind your hands, not if my love can't bind your heart. There's no need to take a stand for as I who chose to start. I see no need to take me home. I'm old enough to face the dawn. So the song is saying, there's no strings to hold you here. I'm not going to bind your hands down if my love can't bind your heart. Like, if you're not here to love me, it's okay. I'm not going to hold you down. We can have a one-night stand. I'm the one who chose to start this, right? You don't need to take me home. That's what the lyrics mean. Just call me Angel of the Morning, Angel. Just touch my cheek before you leave, baby. Just call me Angel of the Morning, Angel, then slowly turn away from me. And maybe the sun's light will be dim and it won't matter anyhow. If morning's echo says we've sinned, well, it was what I wanted now. If we're victims of the night, I won't be blinded by the light. So she's saying we can have a one night stand. It's okay. But before you leave, just do the bare minimum and touch my cheek, please. That's the final song. My brain just jumps to the opening scene of Deadpool. <laughs> Again, the angel imagery, the idea that, like, the whole soundtrack is, we're women. What what do you expect from us? We're stupid. We're just thinking about boys. Like, the whole soundtrack is male gaze. The whole soundtrack is, like, what men think women think about. And not all men. But the idea that these men are like, but she wanted it. But I was just a kid. I couldn't be held accountable. I was just a kid. And then the contrast of that with what Cassie actually goes through and does. So right, it's it's, it's a beautiful thought, and like I, 
it's just it's also just been so long since I've talked about film. It's just nice to talk about film again. I love this. Oh yeah. And this film is great, and it hits on so many points that, and I say it just maybe because twenty twenty its own problems with COVID and everything, but it was one of the few movies that I was like, this genuinely inspired me to mm-hmm. just go back to my own creative films and be like, okay, these movies can be made. How do we do this again? Yeah. Because I've been taking a break from film for a little while myself. Yeah. But, yeah. It, it for sure like lit a fire back under me where I was just like, well, I don't know. I, sometimes you think, can they make any more good movies or everything creative's already been done? And then you're like, oh no, if you have a message, you should tell it. The scene for me where I was like, wow, that is cinema, which is not a thought I have often. There's sometimes where I'm like, I'm enjoying this movie, but I'm not like, yes, that shot. The shot that I actually like the first watch through was like, holy cow, was after she smashes up that car and then she's standing there and the strings, the string music is like rising and it it's the camera swings around to the front and she has that train going behind her. I mean, that looked like a French film. Like, it was so beautiful. I loved, loved, loved that scene. And I actually, I like that scene because the first time I kind of didn't understand it. And I was like, who's this guy? He's nobody. She doesn't even know him, I don't think. And after she loses it and smashes up his car, she's walking away. And she's like, oh, F. Like, she didn't mean to do that. But she's taken it and taken it and taken it. And then he pulls up to her. And she's in the middle of the road and he's like, did you sleep with everybody at the driver's license or at the DMV to get your driver's license? Like he's just throwing insults at her of sexual nature. It's so bizarre. You wouldn't just honk and go around. Hey, cat editing here. I had to take out quite a bit because um, we went off on a tangent. We had so much fun chatting, but I want to pick it back up where we were talking about Ryan sort of as a spider pulling Cassie into his web. So I'm now going to cut ahead to that section. (laughs) I was actually surprised that she did genuinely fall for Ryan, but I think the writing on this is so strong because I think part of the reason she fell for him is like, okay, fine, whatever, she'll go out with him. And then when he says, like, oh, hey, what? This is my place? Did you want to come up? She's, like, so mad. She's like, I was tricked. And then she goes and she smashes that uh, trash can. She kicks it over. She's mad. She's written him off. Then when they're supposed to have that date and she bails, she's like, oh, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not, you know, I don't feel well. And then she's at the club with that other guy and he sees her. She feels so bad. So she genuinely is like, I need to go apologize and make him right. And I think that that is why she falls for him as much as she does. Because she's like, oh no, I've done wrong. Oh my gosh, he caught me. And the, yeah. Oh, yeah. the writing is so... Yeah. Because every oh. single action in this movie is motivated. They're, like The writing really really is strong so clean so clean the script every line was said intentionally and that's what i love like there's a lot of movies where they just they throw in pages of dialogue thinking Mm -hmm. if i talk for 10 pages i will explain my point i was like you need like one sentence to get half of this stuff out i'm curious how much trouble you think he's going to be at in the end because i i think that if he had just said oh my gosh, I know where she was, and he had cooperated with the police, I don't think he'd be in that much trouble because all that's on him is that video, which 
it sounds like from the video, we never see the video, thankfully, but in the video, he's a bystander. And the video happened a long time ago, which doesn't make it okay, but I don't think there's enough in that video to actually, like, cause him any legal damage. Um, but I, I think the fact that he lies to the police and he's like, I don't know where she was, I think once they find out that she was at that party, they're going to say, okay, wait, she was dating Ryan? Ryan didn't think it's yeah. weird that she went missing? Why did... Oh, she know, she knew that party was happening probably because Ryan told her. And you said you didn't know where she went. Like, I think that he's in a world of trouble at the end. Uh, but I'm curious as to, like, how much trouble he actually would get in. Well, honestly, it, it would honestly be a lot. So yeah. much trouble to answer I was your question. I'm curious why he wasn't at the bachelor party, because he knew about it, but maybe he had to work that night, so I can write that off. Um. I think it's one of those things when Cassie said she was going to go, it's like, no, I better not go. Oh, yeah, maybe that's true, too. I think it I think it looks pretty bad uh, for him, which is why I think it he's number five. So that like, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. So Ryan would have to be five. Honestly. Which I think is like a bigger thing because the film is not like, don't be a rapist. Because if you're a rapist, you're not going to watch this film and think, guess I won't do that anymore. The point is, don't be a bystander. And right. I think that's why the final, like, ooh, that satisfying revenge is against the ryan character because he's just standing there watching everyone else go down and he now has to live with when is the hammer gonna fall for me and also i now know what kind of a person i am i'm the kind of person where my girlfriend could be murdered and like eh, my biggest concern is whether or not i'm gonna get in trouble a bit ago when we were talking about if uh cassie was in love with with nina mm -hmm. and to lose someone like that with all of that guilt and knowing that these people did this to her mm-hmm that just plays so well into Ryan now, knowing that, like, your friends legitly just murdered your girlfriend. It, it almost makes Ryan that new, that new character that you're supposed to follow in the way of you've become, I can't think of a good word for it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, he takes the reverse of that. He does. Well, and he has the chance to come clean. She doesn't like pin everything on him. She doesn't pin the murder on him. Like she doesn't do anything to point to him being a problem. He no. ties his own noose. And like I think that the new like crusader for justice character could become Laverne Cox and that's why she leaves her the necklace. Like she's saying like continue on my memory and um uh, yeah, I think that the fact that uh, Ryan kind of hangs himself there is perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah, so. like, but especially when you said earlier that he was a spider, just yeah. like in the convenience store, just luring us in, just that moment of we want to squash the spider is the moment <laughs> he tells the detective, oh, no, no, yeah. I, I mean, we broke up. It's, uh, I haven't seen him. It's like, you lying sack crap. <laughs> he, right, he's going to do the right thing. He's going to do the right thing. And then he can't. He doesn't. He chooses not to. So, yeah, I think that that is more like relatable does, for he people. He does the right thing for himself. That's the thing, though. Like, you're right. He doesn't do the moral right thing, but he does the thing that's right for himself. Which, ironically, is not the right thing for himself, because if he would have just no, come clean, I don't think he would have gotten in trouble. And that's why it's so brilliant at the end, because he's in trouble because he lied about it. If he would have right. just said, oh my gosh, there's, you know, this is kind of the backstory. I actually think that the cops are pretty, like, 
lethargic about it as well. Like the guy who's uh, investigating, he's the uh, husband and crazy ex-girlfriend. He's like, "Uh, do you think she killed herself? Like he's leading the witness and he's like, wow, thank you for your service here as a doctor. Like he is not buying that Cassie's in any danger. He's kind of like, can we we clean this up and say it was a suicide and move on? And until they get that uh, footage, uh, with the camera and says where she's at and they find her body then he jumps into action but that's how willing everyone is to cover it up and move on well let me wrap this up by just saying thank you so much kelly for talking to me about this um it gave my wife a chance to not hear me <laughs> anymore talk about it because i i had someone else to talk to so thank you <laughs> you're you're very welcome and i always love talking i'm just talking films honestly and i'm glad i could like it's just been so long. I'm so happy to talk about movies again. Love movies. Movies are so, so good. Because Kelly and I both went to undergrad at CU Boulder, and I'm not sure when this episode is going to drop, but we are uh, recording this the day after the shooting in Boulder. I just wanted to say that uh, really find our home in Boulder, and we love, love, love Boulder, and our hearts are with Boulder and we're wishing All the yes All absolutely the um so that was really sitting on me today um yeah same as well absolutely um well thank you so much everybody for listening and um Kelly any last shout out you want to say before we wrap up uh, go watch this movie it's so good <laughs> <laughs> go see it but, yeah, that's, that's me <laughs> okay thanks everybody Meow. thanks